The Mind Itself is a podcast about mental health, mental health law, and how they affect all aspects of our daily lives. By taking a deeper dive into how our society deals with mental health medically, legally, and practically, listeners gain insight and information about one of America's most pressing and often overlooked issues that affects almost half of all adults in the United States. Hello, welcome to the Mind Itself podcast. We are talking today to Sheriff Mike Chapman from Loudoun County, one of the leaders in police agencies in implementing policies and procedures to deal with the mental health crisis that oftentimes intersects with uh, law enforcement. So, uh, Sheriff Chapman, it's an honor to have you. Thank you for being here. Well, thanks, John. I appreciate the invitation. You and I first met many, many years ago when you were actually running. I think you just got reelected to your third term. And so you've had a good, what, nine years now of implementing an incredible agenda of C- with what they call CIT, right? The way to start would be just talk about a little bit about your background, how you got into running for sheriff and why mental health was a, a, a focus of yours when you decided to run for sheriff. Well, thanks, John. And I do uh, recall actually meeting you at the Crime Commission there when we both spoke uh, to the group there with regards to mental health. When I was in the process of actually, uh, I, th- I believe, thinking about a run, I can tell you this. what The reason that mental health became such a focus uh, for me in my run for, for sheriff, and the reason that I ran, quite frankly, is I had just moved down, uh, finished a career with the Drug Enforcement Administration. I grew up in this area in the Washington, D.C. area. And in fact, I had been a, a police officer in Howard County, Maryland for a while, uh, for about seven years, then a DEA agent across the globe. And finally, I retired and came here working in the private sector. And a friend of mine um, knew I was in the process of moving to Loudoun County. And he said, hey, uh, you got a great background. You ought to think about uh, running for sheriff. And I looked into it and I and I tried to look into, like, what are the key issues here and why would I, I want to run? And I remember talking to my wife, Ann, who at the time... Her dad had just passed away, and uh, she had a sister who's a year older than her. Her sister, unfortunately, passed away about three years ago, but her sister had suffered from severe uh, schizophrenia, and in fact, I think they call it now schizoactive disorder. And what happened was when her dad had passed away, uh, my wife really had to kind of take care of that entire situation for her sister and making sure that she was getting the help that she needed, was getting the housing that she needed. And it was pretty rough. I mean, Montgomery County, Maryland had a pretty good program, but there were times when her sister Alice lived on the street, you know, was uh, living out of trash cans, all the things that come along with severe mental illness. So I remember all the effort that Ann was going through, and she became uh, familiar with the the, uh, National Alliance on Mental Illness, and in fact became a uh, a facilitator for, for that, and then was being exposed, obviously, to other folks as, a, as part of a, a facilitator of, of all the different issues that they were going through. And I remember her saying to me, that we've kind of looked in to see what was going on in Loudoun County. Quite frankly, there was nothing. There was nothing going on in Loudoun County. There was no program. There was nobody really got any extra training in this. And she said, hey, look, uh, if you win the sheriff thing, you got to make uh, mental health. Uh, one of your priorities. Well, this was kind of early on. And I was like thinking like, well, I got a long way to go to become sheriff. And I said, so of course I will not, not actually really knowing whether I would win or not to make sure I was true to my word. And, and having known her sister very well over the years, but Ann and I, you know, we've been married uh, now for almost 42 years. And 
So uh, I knew her sister extremely well, and I knew the pain that that she had suffered, her family had suffered. And I said, okay, look, we're going to focus on this. What we tried to do was uh, I got elected, and we did decide to make this a, a priority for the new administration. And we started calling people together to meet on this, and it we met uh, with people from mental and behavioral health out of, out of Richmond. We had judges on the panel. We had law enforcement. We had groups of, uh, you know, I don't know, probably 10, 15 people that were sitting on our panels to figure out the program going. Uh, you know, and certainly mental health and substance abuse here in Loudoun County. And our initial goal was to have about 25% of our deputies trained in mental health because we knew that there was a... Uh, a real problem with this in the county. In fact, when I was first on, we started doing some research on this, and we found that about 60% of our time was was spent on uh, mental health issues, about 60%. And the wow. reason that was was because we would uh, typically go to a scene. Folks didn't know necessarily how to de-escalate situations and all that. They'd say, oh, this person's having a mental health crisis. Let's Let's cuff them up and take them in for an evaluation, a mental health evaluation. And then you'd have to go to the hospital. Then you'd have to wait for somebody from mental health to come out. Once they were uh, there, you'd have to get them checked out by the doctors and, and everything else that went with it. It would take up an inordinate amount of our time as deputies and just really impact our, our field strength out there. So we decided, you know, when we're looking at this, we figured 25%. I remember Ann being at one of these meetings say, 25%, why 25%? And you know, why not 100%? And I said, well, Ann, I said, you got you to gotta realize that when we're training our deputies, uh, you're talking about a 40-hour course. You're talking about having to backfill slots. You're talking about changing schedules around. It's just not, it's not like you're, everybody's working day work and uh, you say, okay, let's just bring an instructor. And you've got to, there's a lot of uh, adjustments that you have to make as you're running an organization that that runs around the clock, you know, 365 days a year. So, so we talked about that and we, and that was my initial goal was to do 25%. And we started working towards that goal. And we had a lot of, uh, you know, some of the old timers uh, here that were like, Hey, you know, we're not, we're cops, we're not social workers. This isn't what we do and everything else. But quite frankly, once the program started, people kind of liked it. They were like, wow, this is pretty, this is pretty good to see how, because they do a lot of exercises in the training, and, and one of the uh, exercises that they do is called, I think it's called Voices in Your Head, and they put earphones on you, and they have a lot of activity going on in the background, and it kind of gives you the, the feeling of what somebody that's suffering a mental health crisis might actually be going through while you're trying to do other things and concentrate on other things and multitask and everything else. And I think people were like really kind of surprised at, at uh, how good the training was. So this training started to pick up. And I remember coming to work one day and I, I had the radio on and I'm listening to, I mean, our, our police radio on. And there was a name I recognized uh, as a problem that somebody was suffering a mental health crisis. And I heard the call out on the radio and I said, do we have anybody going uh, from CIT? And I knew we had somebody, by, by that point, we had had at least one person on every squad that was trained. So I heard a call go out and I, and I asked, Hey, what's, what's going on with, uh, uh, with this? And they said, well, the, the only person that's CIT trained is out in the Western side of the County. And this was an incident that was occurring in Sterling. And I said, 
CIT person. They're like, well, they're 20 minutes away. I said, I don't care. Send our CIT person. And I realized at that point, we've got to up the game a little bit. And uh, if we've got one person, it's just not enough. Uh, so we decided that we wanted to train everybody. And as of about three years ago, unless you're, you know, you're just brand new on the job, everybody that's on the job, we're, we're 100% CIT trained, our deputies and our dispatchers and our deputies that work the, the adult detention center as well. So everybody in our agency is a CIT trained. And uh, we've become a national, I'm sorry, a, uh, certainly a regional leader in this. Uh, we've been nationally recognized for uh, for the things that we're for doing many other right. things, right? <laughs> well, for that, but 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 school resource right. officers, and I mean, your your agency has been an award winning agency during your tenure. We have, and we just, in fact, we just finished an accreditation just yesterday, and we get these done every four years uh, from Vilepsi, which is Virginia, uh, a group that does these accreditations throughout Virginia, and not a single finding. In fact, uh, one of the uh, inspectors commented. She said, "Hey, look." Uh, she goes, nobody's perfect, but your agency is about as close to perfect as I've ever seen. And one of the other assessors commented that uh, I've never seen an agency uh, where the employees are, are so happy. I mean, they enjoy their job. They're liking what they do. So it's all, it's been very, very good. And I think a lot of it is is getting through, uh, I mean, and you know, John, some of the, the, the troubles and turmoil that I've gone through as an elected official, but but the benefit about being an elected official uh, in, in charge of a sheriff's office is that you don't have a lot of bureaucracy telling you what you can and can't do. As an elected official, an elected, uh, basically, if you you know, for lack of a better term, top cop here in, in Loudoun County, once we decide with our in-house expertise and with input from the public and from our folks internally and and experts from outside that we want to go in a particular direction, we just do it. You know, it's yeah, hey, we want to conference, we do it. And that's cut through so much red tape. And I can guarantee you, if I was a police chief trying to get 100% of my officers trained, I'd still be in the process of negotiating, uh, okay, can we get overtime for this week and that week and all. We just made it happen. And now we've become such a leader that we are the regional trainer when it comes to CIT. And in fact, we, we actually added to that, we have advanced CIT, and this has to do with our work over there with the Paxton House in Leesburg and uh, the Ark of Loudon and uh, the work that we do with them because uh, because of uh, uh, we also want to be able to recognize uh, you know not only mental health issues but mental disabilities and and what I mean by mental disabilities is that might uh, obstacles for example maybe uh, Alzheimer's maybe autism you know we want them to recognize a particular behavior and it might not be that somebody is resisting arrest it might be because they're not really understanding your commands. They're not, they're not really grasping what's going on. So it's been a great program. We've gotten a lot of support. We're doing you know, very well with this and we're happy with the way it's gone. And, and we're always looking for ways to improve and, and make sure that we're getting the word out. of it. We're quite happy with the way it's turned out. Well, I, I love the fact that you started with the premise that you're going to help your deputies empathize with what this person's going through and, and how you like use the example of the earphones, uh, voices in the head, the program. One of the things that I've noticed, you know, after nearly 20 years in practice doing a little bit of criminal law, not, not my primary focus, but a lot of criminal cases involving mental health is Loudon deputies recognize and oftentimes will avoid bringing charges or avoid arrests because they recognize mental health issues and mental disabilities so readily. 
I always look at the criminal justice system as we're all in it together. But when you have law enforcement and defense attorneys and the Commonwealth's attorney, as we call it in Virginia, working together to divert from the criminal process, the incredible amount of taxpayer dollars saved, the incredible amount of health of the possible defendant, everything that you accomplish is, is really quite amazing. I really commend you for that. Let me ask you, just because I was so fascinated with CIT training, give us another couple examples of some of the things your deputies went through when they were going through CIT training. It's interesting. Uh, we, even our Commonwealth attorney here went through it, I think, about a, a year and a half ago. But I can tell you this, the instructors, uh, we have in-house instructors, we have instructors from mental health, we have instructors from the uh, Commonwealth attorney's office, uh, and we've got a pretty good mix of folks that, that, uh, that are part of it. And when these... Uh, these folks go through it. There are like practical applications that happen there towards the uh, the end of the training, the last couple of days. And I think it really breaks down the barriers in the law enforcement. And I mean, law enforcement has certainly gone through a metamorphosis over the years in the way that, that we handle things. I, I think about when I was first a cop. I mean, I was hired and probably before you were born, John, in 1978, I was a, uh, a cop in uh, <laughs> County, Maryland. Uh, Jeff Preston Carter was still present there. And I, I remember as a cop, we had a gun, we had a, a radio, and we had a baton, for lack of a better term, nightstick. And that was that was it. That's all you had. You know, basically, you kind of had to make things work with kind of very limited uh, resources there. A lot of what you do, the most important tool that you have is actually what's between your between your ears there, and that's your brain. And and I think the key thing here is is this, the training gets people to to think in terms that they would have never thought of before. And, and it just kind of opens that aperture uh, as to what, what's going on, uh, what may be going on in somebody else's head. And it's not just, hey, you just don't reach for your baton and take somebody down or grab those handcuffs and, and boom, take them away. And so I think what I've seen with the deputies, it really does change an entire mindset. You know, it's interesting. As you know, John, we have a, uh, an online complaint and compliment corner. We listen to our citizens uh, and just about every day, I'll get uh, a couple of these, sometimes uh, several in a day, compliments and complaints. And I'm happy to report that we get about four compliments for every complaint. And and the most frequent compliment that I get, because I see everyone that comes in, because we always do, they always make sure we put a copy in a file of our deputies and we make sure that we we notify the folks that made the compliment that we got the compliment, thanking them for the compliment. We're at about a four to one ratio. We did, a, we did an assessment on this. We, we took a snapshot of a few months of a couple of periods of time to see what our ratios were. And so it's holding steady at about four to one compliments over complaints. Complaints are usually pretty minor. It's kind of like, hey, somebody's you know parking illegally on my street. And we, go, we go out, write a warning or a ticket or something. But but the compliments are good. And the most frequent compliment I get is about the professionalism of our deputies and their ability to de-escalate. So it's actually been a change in a mindset. And believe me, and you, as you know, you've seen the, you know, what I've gone through here with trying to change a culture uh, in law enforcement. It's brutal. I right. mean, cops are pretty ingrained in their culture. And to to actually advance a kind of a whole new culture that's a little bit more empathetic or maybe a little bit more sympathetic to what's going on out there. It takes some time and it takes some effort. And it, and as a sheriff, I mean, it, it, it beat me up quite a bit. I mean, I wasn't like the old school guy. I wasn't the, uh, the good old boy kind of a sheriff. I was kind of an innovator. And some of their folks, when you're talking about taking over an organization, 
that's entrenched as a law enforcement organization is, uh, it, it can be very, very difficult to, to, to make that transition to, for the change management. But we have, and I would say that so I've noticed is it's not a, a, an anomaly now for somebody to handle a situation like that. It's almost become so routine that it's become so it's expected. The public expects it, uh, which is fine because it holds our people accountable. And every time we get a complaint about somebody who's, uh, who's been rude or insensitive in a situation, we look right into it and we make sure that, that that's addressed right away. So I would say that those are some of the biggest changes that I've seen. And, and a lot of that has to do with the, uh, with the training that they receive in crisis intervention. Right. You use the term innovator. And how much of an effort was it to really put in, in place a 100% CIT training? In other words, you know, Loudoun County has uh, exploded demographically in terms of the number of people moving here. During your entire time as sheriff, I think it's probably been the most uh, high growth period. And so you would have had one type of culture, as you to use your term, before you took over in another culture now. How hard was it to implement 100% CIT training for your deputies? Initially, it was very difficult. And I remember some people calling the program Hugs for Thugs. But what we had to do was we had to get buy-in. We had to get people internally that believed that this could work. I mean, the one thing that that, you know, if, you, if you're not really committed to the mission and it's just an assignment, it's not going to make a difference. So we had to find the right people. And we've been able to consistently keep the right people in those jobs, you know, in the training, uh, you know, in, in the practical exercises and all that. So I would say that uh, that was difficult. And then certainly taking over a department where, like, for example, advanced education was like kind of frowned upon. And, you know, these guys, if they wanted to continue an undergraduate degree here, they kind of get grilled, you know, and I, and I, when I came in, I, I was like, Hey, the best thing that we can do as an agency is to keep people uh, active in the community in all sorts of ways. And whether it's uh, through the job, through our interactions uh, with the public, or whether it's a, a matter of taking classes and interacting with students and getting fresh thoughts and ideas. And, you know, we may or not, may not agree with them. All it does is it's constantly keeping you in a learning mode. And I think that that's the key is I, I think when I look at the amount of people that have been receptive and responsive and actually really like this program and the amount of people in this agency that have gone on to get bachelor's, master's degrees. And I think we even maybe have one or two that are working on PhDs. And I mean, these are the kinds of things that, that make a department really, uh, I, I think, stand out for professionalism. And, and I think especially now when you look at at uh, you know what happened over the summertime with George Floyd and and all the the, the changes that have been um, you know promulgated by the uh, different states, including the the Commonwealth of Virginia. And I look at uh, that all the, I mean, there's about seven or eight things that that were part of the police reform package that were passed in October here this year with the General Assembly. Uh, their meeting I think started in August and and it, and it went on for a couple of months. And it's interesting that that almost everything we had already implemented. So in other words, uh, coming in as a, uh, as a reformer to start with, and I think a lot of that had to do, uh, it was very kind of good in a way that I, I wasn't somebody that came up through the ranks here. I came in from the outside and had a, a perception of law enforcement. Too many people do. I mean, federal, state, local, uh, private sector, and to bring either the best practices in or having contact with people that knew the best practices and we keep that going 
you know, I know you know, John, I'm on, I'm on the uh, executive board for major county sheriffs. I'm on the board of directors for national sheriffs, and I work very closely with the Inter- International Association Chiefs of Police. In fact, their, their director lives right here in Loudoun County. So, so we are always, always going over the best practices that we can do. And it's made us uh, stand out in the region. And uh, we were designated four years ago as a model agency. We probably will get that distinction again here when they get the official report in on our accreditation. It's been a change. And actually, you know, you asked how, how it went. And I, and I think, you know, it's taken time. It, it's taken a lot more time than I thought it would, but it, it's worked. I mean, and we've gotten over the hump. We've gotten the organization going in a direction that it needs to be. And people in this agency, they feel uh, it's a professional organization. Uh, they're receptive to, to constantly uh, improving what they do, uh, looking at new ways to do things, better ways to do things. And so, so it's been good. I mean, it's been it's been a great thing, and and we're, we're getting the support of certainly of the community, getting the support of the folks that, um, you know, internally here. So we're happy with the way it's gone. You mentioned earlier the Arc of Loudon, which I'm familiar with. It's a wonderful organization. It sounds to me like you've also implemented strategies for public-private partnerships with uh, those type of organizations. If you would talk a little bit about that, it, it's an interesting idea that a law enforcement agency would partner with a nonprofit, and, I, and I'd, I'd love to hear about your experience with that. This year has been kind of crazy with COVID and things being, you know, meetings that we don't that we normally have we don't have, but we do attend and, and participate in the uh, in the Arc of Loudon and, and their five hundred one c three ads, like Loudon Friends of Loudon Mental Health. We work with them uh, outside uh, folks that have uh, that have an interest, and they have an interest for a variety of reasons. Either they they know people or have family members that that uh, either suffer from mental health issues, mental disabilities, or whatever the case is. So you're actually getting people that have a real heartfelt interest in trying to uh, have a, some sort of positive change. And these are difficult things. And I know you know talking with Anne and you know when she was with. Uh, with NAMI as a facilitator, my wife, when she was with the National Alliance of Mental Illness as a facilitator and working with them as well, in a lot of these things, you know, I think sometimes people think that, uh, hey, we're going to go to these and, and they're going to have the answers. And a lot of times there really aren't some great answers or they don't, they don't really necessarily, I mean, I think everybody wants to think that we can solve all these things, but a lot of times it's just a matter of understanding it and working through it and doing the best you can with, with very difficult situations. And, and we get that a realistic perspective because of these personal situations that people have and how we all work together. And I think it's important. It's important to get that, that feedback from folks that are, that really have a real connection to the issues and they're not just doing it uh, because they're assigned to do it or it's part of their a collateral duty at a job. They really have a heartfelt interest. And so that gives us uh, that, that connection with these nonprofits gives us the ability to, to really get to the, to the crux of the matter and see what's what input they might offer and how we can uh, use that input to try to help even further better direct our program. So one of the things that elected sheriff's office does in Virginia jurisdictions where you're elected is you not only have policing function, but you also have the oversight of the jail, the adult detention center. The way Virginia law works, once they're in your custody, you sort of are responsible for dealing with mental health crisis that may occur in the ADC, the adult detention center. If you would talk a little bit about 
what you've done to reform or innovate in the jail and when an inmate's in there and is having a crisis, some of the things that you, you've implemented or uh, some of the things, just your experiences. At the jail, uh, we, we do have uh, uh, assistance from a lot of mental health and substance abuse. And we do uh, recognize folks uh, you, you know, at the jail that have either a substance abuse issues uh, or mental health crisis. And we do try to get them uh, the assistance that, that they need. We're not a state holding facility, you know, so we, we can hold people up to two years on, on a two-year sentence. But I think after that, then they've got to go to some, a state facility. But, but I would say that what we all, always try to do, and we, we have reentry where we get together with, with the folks in the Adult Detention Center and all the different community members that can provide assistance for folks on the way out. So, you know, inside the jail, medically assisted treatment, uh, mental health assistance, we try to identify folks that kind of early on that are going to need this assistance. And then not only do we do that, but as we're, we're getting closer to their release, we make sure that they have access to and knowledge of uh, who is going to be able to help them on the way out. I, I look at, you know, it's an interesting job because until I became a sheriff, I was always on the enforcement side of the equation. So, uh, you know, you arrest people and then uh, you go to court and then uh, it's no longer your problem. And it's not until you actually have a jail that you realize, wait a minute, this is, this is an entire full circle thing, you know. And, I, and I've always looked at my job and my responsibility as a sheriff to also look at recidivism and what are we doing to get people to go in the right directions that they need to go on their way out the door. Because I look at uh, a success uh, for us, and, and I don't have the numbers in front of me. I know our recidivism rates uh, down substantially. I always look to see what are we doing to help folks internally at the adult detention center, make sure they're getting the help that they need, and then they're getting the help they need on the outside so that they don't end up winding back up and, and you know become uh, you know one of our clients again. We, we want to make sure that they're going in the right direction. And so it's kind of a, a holistic approach, a full circle approach that we like to have to try to to get these folks the help they need and uh, inside, outside, and how to follow up. Yeah, it's been a rough year for law enforcement. I have to say, Mike, your take on law enforcement is so different from perceptions. It's a empathizing, an incredible amount of understanding that there are other things that may explain why someone's behavior has gone uh, badly. And I think we need more of that for sure. And I'm glad that you're interfacing with other agencies because I think they can learn a lot from your from your agency, which which I'm very lucky to be a resident of Loudoun County with you all patrolling the streets. Being that you have done so much and you're an innovator, what can we expect in the future that you are going to be implementing things on the horizon, new policies, procedures that that we might find interesting? The best indicator of what you're going to do in the future is what you've done in the past. And I think we've got a good, you know, fairly good, strong track record on this. When it comes to police reform, I was actively engaged with the Virginia Sheriff's Association to, to know what we need to do versus what, uh, what we shouldn't do and that, so that people kind of understand where you draw the line on certain things. Because, you know, one of the things that people do tend to forget, we do so many things that are important to the community, but we also enforce the law. You know, there is a criminal justice code out there, a, a rule of law, and even though we 
you know, we look at a variety of ways to handle uh, situations. So sometimes we actually arrest people and they go before the court and they do go to jail for a reason because they're, uh, they can harm others. Uh, they're, they're a danger to society or, or and they've got to pay their, they've got to pay their dues within the, the legal system that's, that's dictated by our constitution, you know? So everything from, from every aspect and stay actively engaged, you know, as a member of major counties tomorrow, as a matter of fact, I mean, we, we actually communicate with folks that are, that are being uh, directly with, with folks that are looking to get presidential appointments and what they're doing, what they bring to the table when they get to hear what our take is on certain things and, and uh, what our concerns are as part of uh, a broader law enforcement. But I would say that uh, when you look at the future, we're going to continue to evaluate uh, what's going on. We're way ahead of the game when it comes to police reform and where we're at and the professionalism that we do. And we're always looking ways to constantly improve. And that's why you know, I plan to stay a member, uh, you know, board members of these organizations. I plan to stay very connected with uh, the Virginia Sheriff's Association. I'm on, I'm on several boards uh, with the Virginia uh, Sheriff's Association, uh, one of which is reform, you know, the other drug legalization and that sort of thing. So we look at, uh, at all these things from a variety of a perspective. So I would say that we're going to just continue to provide excellent service. We're going to look in, uh, and continue to monitor what's going on. Uh, in law enforcement in general, continue to pursue what we need to pursue to make sure that our citizens uh, stay safe and make sure that we communicate that with them. We do it. We do it just about every day. You'll see, a, you know, either a press release or, you know, Facebook post. I mean, we're very engaged with the community. I mean, we're, we've got Coles Plaza coming up. We've got Cops for Kids, Police for Cops, you name it. We're part of about every community thing that you can possibly be a part of out there because we want people to know us and understand that that we are we are friendly. I mean, and, and in fact, um, one of the things that's uh, that you hear out there is as part of a national narrative doesn't apply to Loudoun County at all. Is the school to prison pipeline? I think we've got ninety uh, something schools. We've got twenty five school resource officers in middle and high schools, and then we've got uh, school resource officers that cover elementary schools. Our school program is. Uh, is fantastic, and and uh, this this notion that there's a, a school to prison pipeline, at least in Loudoun County, doesn't exist. Everybody's been home because of COVID, but the year before, we arrested two people out of eighty four thousand students, uh, and, and I would say that those are hands on arrests, not not through a petition, but hands on arrest. So two out of eighty four thousand students certainly shows that we're not we're not coming down like uh, you know with any kind of uh, uh, hardcore Gestapo type tactics. What we're doing is making sure that we work very closely with the schools, very closely with the parents, and make sure that we look at, at a variety of ways to resolve issues rather than just arrest. But people need to remember as well that, that we do uh, have that authority to arrest people. And, and when you're committing crimes, um, you can expect that. I mean, we just locked up an armed robbery just the other day uh, down there in Sterling. You know? So we pursue these things. We want to make sure that we're getting the bad guys, the violent criminals behind bars, and we want to make sure that we continue to look for other alternatives as we go forward and how to handle these situations and to keep the peace and make our, our citizens safe out there. Well, Mike, this has been a real pleasure and honor to have you. I hope that somehow we can get the word out about what you're doing in Loudoun County, because I think it's really what law enforcement really should be empathizing with the person that you're interfacing with, but not being afraid to enforce the law. And I think that's incredibly important. Mike, thank you so much for being with us today. It's been a real honor. I hope you'll come back and, and be with us again. 
Oh, thank you, John. I, I appreciate the opportunity, and uh, and thanks for all you do uh, in the community. I know you've been a big advocate for certainly on mental health, but so many other things in this county. And I know you work in family law and many other aspects. I appreciate what you do, and I'm, I'm glad you're a member of this community because it means a lot. That kind of involvement, engagement from a community, and in, in, in everything that we do going forward. So, thank you, John. I appreciate thank the invitation. You. Thank you so much. The Mind Itself podcast is unique in that we look at the intersection between mental health and the law and how it impacts you. Subscribe on iTunes, Spotify, Google Play, or wherever you listen to podcasts. And be sure to leave a comment, rate, and review and share with someone you know. Thanks for listening.